normally, I get up here and we look at a big old passage and we look at it together and we study it and we try to bring it into the texture of our lives and we talk about it. And we're not going to do that as much tonight. Tonight is brief. Tonight is just a few insights on what Caroline just read from John's gospel and from John's letter. The gospel of John, this big long work we've been spent the whole fall looking at, and this tiny little letter that the same John wrote to a specific people. And there's really just two things I want us to see, and they're really simple things. The first is that Jesus Christ, whether you know him, don't know him, whether you're confused by him, Jesus Christ is a historic and real Savior. And I'm not talking to the religious people in the room and the Christians in the room. I'm talking about if you have a heartbeat, if you're a human being, Jesus Christ is a real historic Savior for you. And he's also an inclusive and willing Savior. So he's historic and real, and he's inclusive and willing. Now, I know there's a little bit of an age gap between me and you. When I say a little bit, I mean like I'm double most of y'all's age. Glad I got the Clements here and the Parkers here, so y'all are going to be so tracking with me on a few of these illustrations. So I know there's an age gap, but I know there's some of you out there who have faint memories of when you were a little kid on a Friday or a Saturday night going to Blockbuster. Remember that old place? Or some video store? Yes. And uh, walking through all the aisles. Uh, there used to be an amazing video store across the street down by Ideal Bagel called Vision Video. And a lot of weekend nights, uh, me and my buddies would end up there at like 10 or 11 with nothing to do, nothing to stream because there was none of that, and looking for a movie. Now, if it was a new release, it was easy to find because there's a whole section of new releases, right? You just walk right up, grab it, check out. If it was anything else, something older, something obscure, something from more than a year ago, uh, we had to go find it in whatever section it was in. Bookstores, video stores are all organized by genre, right? And so um, a lot of movies were easy, but you know, there's some movies that like blur the lines of genre. It's like Stranger Than Fiction. Will Ferrell has only ever been in these like slapstick, like guy humor movies, but in Stranger Than Fiction, it's like, is this a drama? It's like a really thoughtful, insightful movie. Where's the movie? Or movies that would straddle the gap between adventure and action or things like that. And so I'd often just have to go up and like call it quits and ask the person, where's this movie? And you know the kind of people that work at video stores. They're like, let me show you. It's right over here. And they like bend down and pull it out immediately like they could close their eyes and get there. And they pulled out the movie. Here's my question for you tonight. If you had to walk into a bookstore or a video store, what section would you look for the Christmas story in? When I say the Christmas story, I mean the stuff that was just read from ancient times all the way up through what Stephen read about Jesus being born to Mary and Joseph in a manger, what Caroline read, the light coming into the darkness. Where would you go? What genre would you look in? What section would you go to first to find that, these stories? I'm sure with some of us, uh, we'd go to the, maybe the religious drama section, like where the weird movies are. Uh, maybe you go to historical fiction. You'd look around there. Maybe just the drama section or something like that. Maybe fantasy or inspirational. Maybe holiday classics. Where would you go to look for this story? If you ask the Apostle John, who wrote this, wrote what Caroline read, hey, John, we can't find this on the shelves. Where are these stories? What genre do they fit in? He'd say, oh, follow me. 
and he'd walk you to the documentary section. Now, you know what a documentary is. You watch as many as I do. Documentaries are not like, you know, 20 hours of surveillance footage of some historical event, right? Nor are documentaries historical fiction. You know those videos that begin with the, the, the words fade in based on a true story? That's historical fiction. Some kernel of truth, but then a screenwriter kind of took the ideas and ran with it. Documentaries are that middle ground. Uh, documentaries are this kind of craft, careful, artful, authoritative, truthful, hopefully, telling of a real story. And the good documentaries are always full with eyewitness accounts. I mean, usually they're just a bunch of eyewitness interviews pieced together. I saw this. And another lady, another guy, like, I heard this. Not I heard it from Joe who heard it from, you know, Jane who heard it from someone else, but I heard it. I saw it. I was there. I experienced it. I remember that day like it was yesterday. That's the genre of documentaries. That's what those are about. And all the accounts of all the people interviewed, no matter their background, their political views, whatever, they all experience the same thing, and so their accounts line up perfectly. And it's this one succinct story of what went down. Documentary, I think, is what John is doing. Now, here's what's fascinating to me, is that we have a Bible where John wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, they were kind of spliced together, but Caroline read two separate things written years and years apart. The first was five verses from John's Gospel. We talked about it back in August. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He says uh, that this Word was the light of God, and the light had come into the darkness. John gets two stabs at describing Jesus Christ's entrance into his world. And they're very different. The first in, in John's Gospel, what I just said, the Word, the eternal Word come, becoming flesh, coming into the world, the light coming into the darkness, is more like a Steven Spielberg. It's Michelangelo on his back just unleashing beauty on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And then 1 John is more like Ken Burns. It's the facts. Or it's like the painter describing the texture the flow, the viscosity of the paint, the smell of the paint, the sound of the bristles across the canvas. John 1, John says, in the beginning was the Word, the eternal Word was God himself. Jesus is no amateur. Jesus is no created thing or creature that God said, hey, maybe I'll make a rescuer to go and undo all the damage human beings have done. Jesus is God. And John says he is light, and he is life. And in him we have grace and truth. Beautiful art, Spielberg. But in 1 John 1, he says, and I knew the light. I saw this light with my very own eyes. I heard this eternal word with my ears. I touched the word made flesh. I touched the incarnate God. I knew him. And he doesn't really say I and me and my. He says we and our. John is describing Jesus the second time in his second account of how Jesus entered the world at a scientific level of specificity. He's talking about verifiable details. I saw, I heard, I touched, I experienced. And better than that, he's saying it's peer-reviewed. Everybody saw it. Everybody touched him. Everybody heard it. Everybody experienced it. Go ask them. 
Fascinating, the two accounts we get of Jesus' entrance into the world through one of the best friends of Jesus, the man who had always referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Thirteen times in one sentence in 1 John 1, John will say, my or our, our own eyes. He's saying, uh, there's no doubt in this. We all saw this. We all experienced him. So um, why hammer this stuff? Why talk about this on a Christmas service? To at least establish this, that the stuff that we read earlier is not historical fiction based on a true story. There's not a kernel of truth in here that's a bunch of men in, in 2,000 years ago kind of got together and conspired to put a story together. This is the stuff of cold, hard, brute history. This is the stuff of journalism. This is the stuff of documentaries. And the other reason why, I mean, I say that because some of us are tempted to dismiss Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, not out of intelligence, but out of ignorance. We haven't studied it. We haven't looked into it. We didn't know that there were living human beings, hundreds of them, who saw, heard, touched, experienced, knew the raised up, resurrected Jesus Christ. So this doesn't let you off the hook so quickly to just say, well, he wasn't real and I don't need to. This says, well, you should take a second look. But it also catches some of us who grew up in the church. You're a Christian. You grew up with these stories. You've heard all of these accounts reading Christmas plays or, you know, nativity scenes. And we might be tempted to not put this in the historical fiction category, but more like the religious drama or the inspirational genre or category. And for us, that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing because if you think that what we're talking about in these passages, what we've read is just inspirational, sentimental stuff, at the end of the day, that all that does is it leaves you with you. The Bible itself, the, the, the Christmas story, the nativity story, Christianity itself just becomes some big moral lesson for you to absorb and adopt and learn and memorize and apply to yourself. Here's another old man illustration. I'm less confident any of you know what I'm talking about except for the late 30s and 40s crowd in the room. TGIF, remember this? Uh, it, it came on every Friday evening night uh, on ABC, and um, it was like a three-hour block of kind of family-oriented, kid-friendly programming. And it had stuff like, you know, Family Matters and Full House, which I know you know about that, and all these different shows just pushed together, about five or six of them pushed together. And every single one of these episodes... Um, at the end of the episode, there'd be some drama or something going on during the show, and at the end of it, the theme music would kind of slowly fade in, and there'd be some big moral lesson from mom or dad would sit down with the kids and like, and Johnny, this is why we love people who are different than us, because at the end of the day, we're all really different, and don't you want people to love you, Johnny? He's like, yeah, and then the music gets in loud and the credits come on. That's what I'm talking about. If we've done this with Christianity, with the Bible, with the Christmas story, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the theme music comes on, and you sit here, and you're like, yeah, that was some helpful stuff. I feel really inspired, and I go back into my life all by myself, trying to be better, do better. Don't you understand? You walked into this room all alone with only your own resources, and you leave this room all alone with only your own resources. That's a problem. 
if we are fundamentally weak people who are broken and wayward and all kinds of other things as well. If Christmas is just an inspirational, cute holiday, you and I are on our own. If it's cold-hearted, brute, factual history, then you have hope. Whoever you are, didn't grow up in a Christian house, don't even feel like you can relate to people who are Christians in your friend circles, or have been in church every Sunday of your life, that applies to you. At the end of the day, if this is history, it's good news. Because John says, Jesus did not come to inspire you to be a better you. Jesus came to resurrect a new you, to make you alive, not just to make you better. He came to deliver you out of darkness, not to instruct you how to live better in the darkness. I said this back in August, but when we were looking at John chapter one, at the end of the day, Every other belief system, be it one of the big world religions of, you know, Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or one of the modern kind of cultural fads of secularism or perfectionism or naturalism, whatever it is, at the end of the day, all of them have the lowest common denominator of really saying this, leave the darkness and come into the light. Don't be so bigoted. Don't be so closed-minded. Don't be so kind of stuck in your corner. Leave all of that stuff. Leave your bad habits. Leave the procrastination. Come into the light. And they point the way to the light. And they say, this is the light. This is the way to be enlightened and a good person. And again, at the end of the day, it leaves you with you. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say, guys, leave your darkness. Stop with all the stupid stuff. Come on, people. Can't we get our act together? The Bible does not say, leave your darkness and come to Jesus, who's the light. Oh boy, do you feel that in your heart? That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. It's the opposite. The gospel is the light, who is Jesus, has come into the darkness without even being asked, without even consulting you. The light, who has legs of his own, a mind of his own, an agenda of his own, and a life of his own, invaded the darkness and your darkness and the world's darkness couldn't, didn't, won't, and can't overcome him. That's good news. Because that news is independent of you. And the lack of self-discipline, the lack of follow-through, the lack of being a better you in 2021, that, there, that might fall apart just like this year. So we talked about how it's important that you and I both leave tonight knowing that this is cold, hard, brute history. This is stuff of eyesight and hearing and documentation and peer review and verification. We can't just dismiss this and kind of nostalgize it and sentimentalize it. This is our world and our history. But we also said we wanted to talk about that Jesus is an including and a willing savior. He's including and he's willing. The question that might be going through your mind, no matter who you are, is, but is he including to me? Will he include me? Or maybe you're asking, will he include those other people who I disagree with or I hate or I don't see how they could ever be Christians? You might be asking, will he notice me? Or does he just notice, just, does he just include, does God just include, under the shadow of his grace, people who are more disciplined than you? People who learned their moral lessons and don't screw up anymore. People who paid attention in Sunday school. 
does he just include people who haven't toyed around like you've toyed around and paid lip service to him? Does he just include people who've made better decisions in their life than you? Does he just include people who grew up with a Christian background, who are spiritual religious people? Does he just include people who came from intact families? Does he include you? Or has he left you out? Has he left people like you out? A lot of you in this room, this particular room, you're probably thinking, well, of course he'll include us. He's God, he's gracious, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's patient. But you would be the anomaly in our culture. You would be the anomaly in America. You've seen the surveys I've seen. The majority of people, their primary beef with Christianity is they say it's exclusive. There's no room for people like me and my friends especially the visibly broken, especially the sexually stigmatized, especially people that don't come from traditional backgrounds, especially people who might value science and value intelligence and struggle with doubts. The average American would say Christianity has no room for those people. It just has room for partisans that already believed it all to begin with. But I want you to see something. John says in John chapter 1 that Jesus, who is the light, has come into the darkness, which is this world. The light has come into this world, which means there's only one place that God has invaded, that he's come to, that Jesus has come to, and it's this 2020 world, where everywhere you look, you look to politics, you look to medicine, you look to science and vaccines, you look to social dynamics, you look to justice, you look to criminal justice, you look anywhere, especially in this year, and all you see is fracture and disintegration. This is the world that God came into to take back, to set right, to make new, to live here with his people again, this world. And so would he include you? Well, the chances are higher after you've thought about that because he came into your world. He came into your neighborhood, the kind of stuff you bear and that you deal with. And then this other thing in John, in, in, in 1 John, the letter part, John says two times that Jesus was made manifest to us. What does it mean that he was made manifest? It means he showed up. He arrived. He appeared. First responder. He's here. And John said he, ma- he was made manifest to us, which is a really important pronoun put at the end there. Because if he just arrived, if he just appeared, what good is that? What good is a hospital 10 miles from you if you're dying? He says he's been made manifest to us. He showed up in my world, in my house, in my life, in my broken story, in my confusion, in my doubt, in my shame. Does Jesus include you? Brendan Manning sure thinks so. He's a pastor who wrote a book, maybe you've read, it's a little bit old, Ragamuffin Gospel, and he says, how could Jesus include people like this? Now, he's talking about the book of Revelation. He's making a few other points that might not make sense here, but let me read this to you. He says, because God's salvation is by grace, which means free, you can't earn it, you can't dance around and get his attention for it, it's a gift, it's free. Because salvation is by grace through faith, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, Jesus, right now, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me that she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. 
And I'll see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by the guilt and remorse, but did the best she could faced with grueling alternatives. I'll see the businessman besieged with debt who sold off his integrity in a series of desperate, unwise transactions. I'll see the insecure preacher addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit because he longed for their love. I'll see the sexually abused teen molested by his father and now selling his body on the street, who as he falls asleep each night after his last trick, whispers the name of the unknown God he learned about in Sunday school. But, Manning asks, how can they be included? How can they be included with this Jesus? Then he says, we hear a voice from the throne that says, they, these people, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They've been forgiven by Jesus and through Jesus. And Manning says, there they are, there we are, the multitude who, wanted to be, who so wanted to be faithful but got defeated, soiled by life and beset by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith. My friends, he says, if this is not good news to you, you've never understood the gospel of grace. If salvation is by grace, and if it's of the doing and of the gift of God, it includes everybody. Everybody in Tehran and everybody in Atlanta. Everybody raised Baptist and everybody raised atheist. Because everybody is just as much a slave and incapacitated by the darkness and needs God to come meet you where you are and bring new life to you through Jesus. I wanna end here. Some of you know this Jesus. You grew up with him, you're alive in him, you believe in him, you trust him. You've not sentimentalized Christmas, you don't find it fiction, you find it fact. You've put your trust in him, but you're wondering right now, is this just kind of one of those outreach messages where there might be some visitors here tonight, so Ben's kind of throwing out the olive leaf? What's in it for me? The limping Christian for the past 12 years. I'll leave this last word to one of my favorite uh, professors and authors, uh, Paul Tripp, as he reminds you that your Jesus, this historical real Jesus, is a willing Jesus. What does it mean that he was willing to come the first time? The light was willing to come into the darkness. Life was willing to come into death. Purity, righteousness was willing to come and inhabit in the midst of unrighteousness and impurity. What does all that mean for today and now? He says this, the advent willingness of Jesus is your guarantee that he continues to be willing today. Right here, right now, he's willing to love you on your worst day. Right now, he's willing to forgive you again and again. Here and now, he's willing to be patient as you continue to grow and mature. Here and now, he's willing to teach you through his word. Now, he's willing to supply every one of your needs. Now he's willing to be faithful even when you're not. He, right now, is willing to empower you when you're weak and restore you when you failed. Now he is willing to comfort you when you're discouraged and protect you when you've stepped into danger. And he remains willing to do everything necessary to feed, guide, sustain, and protect you until eternity is your final home. You see, the Advent story reminds us that our past, present, and future hope Rest not on our willingness, but on the willingness of the one for whom the angels sang and the shepherds worshipped and the magi searched. 
Willing Jesus is the only hope for unwilling sinners. So whether you know this willing, real, historic, and inclusive Savior or not, my question to you is, will you come to him? If he's real, if he's alive, if he's here, if he has ears, if he can be known, if he's pleading with you to come and join his fellowship, to know him, what holds you back? Too many doubts? Too far gone? Too bad of a past? Not a spiritual or religious enough person? Can't relate to other Christians you know? Do you know that those are the very obstacles Jesus Christ came to topple to clear the way between you and your maker? He's the only way to get back to your maker. He's the only way to grace, to mercy, to forgiveness, to life, here and now, but he's free. He's not asking for you to prove it. He's asking for you to watch him prove it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are light. You don't call us to be light primarily. We thank you that you are life. You don't call us to be life. We thank you that you have come into the darkness. You don't call us primarily to leave the darkness, but you come and get us and bring us out of it. Would you deepen our confidence that you are real and historic, that you're inclusive and willing, that you're pure and good and patient and powerful and transforming. Be with us now as we finish our time together and sing to you.